let's uh, let's all turn in our Bibles this morning to First Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter five, covering verses one to eleven. I titled this morning's message "The Promise of His Coming." It's always uh, interesting to me when I hear teachers or commentators make statements that talking about the subject of Jesus Christ's return, that it's not really that important. That it's not something that we should really uh, get into with the church because it might make them lazy if they were living in light of Christ's return. I see the opposite of that in Scripture. I see every bit of the discipleship that I see going on in Scripture, that it's, it's really brings to light Christ's second coming actually more than His first coming. And so, not only prophetically, but everything that we see in the early church and Paul's discipleship, especially in First and Second Thessalonians, it appears that he discipled them in this area of Christ's coming uh, very much so. Paul, in every chapter of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he said something about Christ's second coming. In chapter 1, verse 10, and you can look at these verses, Paul wrote this, he says, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That should create a hallelujah in your heart. He delivers us from the wrath to come. In chapter 2, verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Asking a question. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Speaking of the believers, when Paul would stand there on that day with these brand new believers that got saved there in Thessalonica. Chapter 3, verse 13 so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. In chapter 4, verse 17, "...then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words." And then in our text this morning. But then if we were to take this over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll get there, Paul writes, "...since it it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels." in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed." In chapter 2, verse 1, 
And now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as from us, as though the day of Christ has come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? In chapter 3, verse 5, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the patience of Christ. Every chapter of 1 and 2 Thessalonians has some reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ or to the rapture of the church. As a matter of fact, within the New Testament, Paul spoke most in these two letters about the second coming of Jesus Christ than in any other New Testament book. What's interesting is is that this was believed to be one of the first letters with the possibly the exception of Galatians, but possibly one of the first letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. So this is early days even within the church that this revelation even of the rapture and this understanding of the second coming of Jesus Christ was already being given to the church. It's important for us as believers today to be continually reminded that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. I believe it's a, it's a place that we should remain in. It's our hope. It's, it's what causes that endurance in our life as we are pressing forward in this life as Christians through maybe some very difficult times in life that this is all going to come to an end, that all of this should create in us holy living. It should create in us just a desire to be right with the Lord. Because if the Lord were to return today, what state would we find ourselves in? Let's read our text this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. These uh, verses, by the way that we're reading this morning, they're warnings. They're warnings not just to believers, but to unbelievers. Listen to what Paul writes, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, speaking to Christians, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, and I believe we're talking about unbelievers here, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, speaking to Christians, you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, speaking about non-believers, let us not sleep as others who do, 
uh, others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Again, in chapter 5, the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul once again speaking now not about the rapture of the church, which we talked about last week, but the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's important for us to make that distinction between the two. There is going to be the rapture of the church, which is going to be for believers only. There is going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ that will come seven years later. Last Sunday, when we talked about the rapture of the church, I shared that it's the hope of every believer. That word hope is that confident expectation that we should be living as Christians in the expectancy of Christ's return, that he could come back at any moment. And we read out of Corinthians 15, where Paul said that it's going to happen in the moment and in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen like that before you could even think I believe that the rapture is going to take place and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Those of us that are alive and remain are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and there we shall ever be. That expectancy of Christ's return is an area that, as I shared in the beginning, that I believe that many teachers are not keeping their church and not keeping their people living with expectancy. And I believe that it really does a disservice to us as believers. Because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment, I think the majority of us will find ourselves just kind of dropping the guard a little bit. If we knew that and and we told ourselves, I don't think he could come back today. I don't think that he could come back until this happens. Then you could live and do what you want and get yourself together when you think it's going to happen. I believe that Jesus left us in a place of not knowing when that time would take place. It's the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We are living in a world as Christians where... This whole promise of Christ's coming is being continually challenged. It's being challenged by the world. Many, many of you maybe have told people that Jesus Christ is coming back. And maybe they've mocked you for that. Maybe they said, yeah, right. You know, they've been saying that for years and years. As a matter of fact, it was said 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ Himself that He was going to return in like manner. Where is He? Why hasn't He come? There are Christians that have under the length of time and they all have began to 
even maybe lose hope of Christ's return. I think it's important that as believers that we're reminded that Jesus Christ will fulfill his promise that he is going to return in like manner. I think all of us like promises, don't we? Uh, We're people that like promises if they're good promises. If they're good, we like them. You know, those promises that say, I'll never leave you. I promise that I'll always be there for you. You know, that that old saying, promises, promises, promises. You know, we, we like promises, but we don't like it when people break promises. It's important for us to know that God himself has never broken a promise. He never will break a promise to you. As a matter of fact, he's a God that cannot lie. He can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Every promise that he has made to you and I through his word, he will fulfill. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Peter wrote this, speaking to Christians. He says, Beloved, whenever you see the word beloved, he's talking to believers here. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir your pure minds by way of reminder. This is something he's wanting to remind us as believers of. That you would be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Remember that prophecy that we read in the New Testament was foretold all in the Old Testament and being fulfilled in the New. I want to remind you of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, speaking of the Old, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. And then he says this, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their lusts. Here's a description. If you've ever wondered, what is a scoffer? Here's a description of a scoffer. They walk according to their own lusts. And they also say this, where is the promise of his coming? Asking a question. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's what they want to say. Well, they've been saying that forever. Jesus Christ is coming back. That's what people do when they are scoffing at God and scoffing at your words, that when you tell them that Jesus Christ is coming back and that you need to be ready for Christ's return, and they scoff at you, they, they have a particular thing that they want to take out of their mind. They've been saying that for years. But we go on to read in verse 5, for this they... And don't, don't miss this. They willfully forget. You see, people can willfully forget something. They can choose to not believe in something. And they can choose to willfully forget. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. By which the world that then existed perished being flooded by water. When did that take place? The flood. They don't like to think of that. 
The, the people that don't want to believe in Christ's return, people that are non-believers, they don't want to be thinking about a flood. Did that really happen? Did God do? Because if there was a flood, that means judgment came. If there was a cross and Jesus Christ was crucified on it, that means there's judgment for sin. And they don't want to think about those things. They willfully forget those things. It goes on to say, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by that same word and are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. In other words, judgment day will come. This is not a popular subject to talk about judgment day, to talk about Jesus Christ coming back to judge the ungodly in this, on this earth. But I just simply reading to you the Word of God. These are not my words, it's what God's Word says. He goes on to say this, But beloved Christians, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning, and here it is again, His promise. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. But his long-suffering, he, in other words, he's patiently, he's patient, he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of our Lord. That's why he hasn't come back as of yet, though he could come back today. Because he is patient. He knows when that last person on this earth is going to receive him as Lord and Savior. And I believe when that happens, we're going home. There's no reason for God to delay. But because God is patient, and because He is not willing that any should perish, all your loved ones, those people that you're praying for that don't know Christ, He's patiently waiting. And so we also should be encouraged and exhorted to make opportunity to tell people about Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, but the day of the Lord, and listen what it says, the day of the Lord will come. There it is. The day of the Lord will come, and he tells us how it will come, as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, because of everything I just read, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Wow. That's descriptive. That, I believe, is going to happen at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ when a new heaven and a new earth is going to be made. But if that day's coming, and what Peter's talking about here, how much closer is the rapture of the church? If we're not going to be here during the tribulation period, we should be looking and waiting for the rapture of the church. Nevertheless, we according, and this is where he says it again, we according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth which righteousness dwells. God's promise. 
The word promise actually in the Greek, it, it, it is always used specifically of a promise that is coming from God. And when a promise comes from God, like I just said, God can't lie. God can't lie. And so everything that he has told us in his words, you can read it and you can count on it that it's going to happen. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 6, verse 13, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, we know the promises that he made to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, we're told that he swore by himself. Have you ever, we shouldn't do this, but have you ever swore that you were going to do something? And people do that all the time? How can God swear that he's going to fulfill a promise when there's no one greater So it says that he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiply, I will multiply. He's talking about the promises that he made to Abraham. And so after he, Abraham, Abraham, had patiently endured, we're told that he obtained the promise. God did exactly what he told Abraham that he was going to do. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them as the end of all disputes. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable or unchanging things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. God will fulfill His promise exactly the way we read it in Scripture. It's important for us to be assured of that in our hearts, Christians. When those times come, when you begin to doubt, when you begin to question that, you know what, God doesn't lie. Every single promise that you read in the Word of God, God is going to fulfill it exactly like He said. He is going to be faithful to you with every promise. Today's message is the promise of His coming. A promise that he cannot lie about. It's a promise from God to you. Look at your Bibles, chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, speaking to us as believers, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, Paul is writing this letter after he was ran out of town. He's writing back to the believers at Thessalonica because he has great concern for them. He's reminding them in his letter here that he had spoken to them while he was with them about these things. So I believe that it was part of Paul's discipleship to teach people about the second coming of Jesus Christ, about his return, and even in this letter about the rapture of the church. Paul is addressing them as brethren. So we know that he's speaking to them as Christians. He says to these believers, he says, but concerning the times and the seasons. Now, times in Scripture is not just a 24-hour day, but times can speak of a duration of time. 
in Scripture. Uh, whether it's a long period of time or a short period of time, it can be a period of time. Seasons in Scripture speaks of the characteristics of that period of time. And so what is going to be going, along, going on in this world, in this, these times and these seasons, that he says that you have no need that I should write to you about. In other words, I've already spent time talking to you about these things. Paul, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.1, said that there is a time for man. A time for man are people that don't know Christ. You see, there are people, there is man today that is living in a world right now just basically doing their thing, doing whatever they want. This is the time for man right now. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then he concludes with this, from such people turn away. Wow, that's descriptive. That sounds like the days we're living in, doesn't it? I mean, look at our world. Look how people, look at this is man's time. Right now, we need to be as Christians standing out in this world. These are characteristics of non-believers, not of believers, but of non-believers. If these things that I just read to you are characteristic of a believer, we should be going, whoa, God, I hope that's, I, I don't live that way. That's not me. Paul says in verse two, of our text, that God also will have His time. That His time is the Lord's day. Look what it says, verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly, he's speaking to these believers here in Thessalonica, and to us this morning. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, speaking about unbelievers. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. That's a warning. That's a warning to believers and it's also a warning to non-believers. The day of the Lord will come. It is coming, and it is going to come as a thief in the night. We find a very graphic description in the book of uh, Zephaniah that describes what the day of the Lord is going to look like. Remember that the day of the Lord is a period of time. It's not just one day, but it's a whole period of time. Listen to Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it hastens quickly. 
The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There is There the mighty men shall cry out that the day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring, bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy radiant riddance of all those who dwell in the land. This is Zephaniah's prophecy of the day of the Lord, which I believe is still future, yet to come. This day that is not a 24-hour period, but a longer period of time, is all for the purpose of accomplishing God's purposes. We read about the rapture, and we've already read about the rapture of the church. I believe that the rapture of the church, when the church is translated, snatched away, taken off of this earth, is going to be the start of what is referred to as the day of the Lord. Now, we read about that already last week. We read in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. If you read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, what do you see? The seven letters to the seven churches. It's the church age. It's the day and age that we're living in right now. When you get to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, it says that after these things, or after this church age... We read, I looked, John says, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And after this, I believe, is referring to the church age. And when he says, come up here, I believe this is a picture of when the church is going to be raptured. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. At the rapture of the church, it's going to be again then the tribulation period. It's a time that God is going to primarily be dealing with the nation of Israel. Uh, We read about that in Daniel chapter 9. The 70 weeks of Daniel, 69 of those weeks have already been fulfilled, ending with Jesus Christ going to the cross. There is a 70th week that is yet to be fulfilled, which I believe correlates with that seven-year tribulation period that is going to come upon this earth. 70 weeks, we read in Daniel 9.24, are determined for God's people, speaking about Israel, and for His holy city, Jerusalem. Sixty-nine have been fulfilled. One week is yet to come. This is all falling under that heading, the day of the Lord. This is all still the unfolding of the day of the Lord. 
the day of the Lord is going to be a time, according to what we just read in Zephaniah and many other Old Testament scriptures, as a time of God's judgment. Judgment that is going to punish the nations, we're told. It's also going to be a time where God is going to punish those that have rejected Jesus Christ and that salvation that he offers to them. The day of the Lord is also going to be a time of wrath. And we read about that in the book of Revelation. You can read it in Revelation chapter 6. For the great day of his wrath has come and who will be able to stand? Don't ever let somebody tell you that the tribulation period is just going to be not too bad. It's not, you know, I mean, no, this is going to be the day of God's wrath upon this earth. The day of the Lord also includes the second coming of Jesus Christ. When does that happen? That happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation period where Jesus Christ is going to return uh, to this earth and he is going to put to end those nations that have come to fight against him at the Battle of Armageddon. Following the seven-year tribulation period, this is all under the day of the Lord, we're going to have a thousand-year millennial reign. We're going to reign with Christ ourselves as believers for a thousand years. There's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ, all a fulfillment of what the Old Testament foretold, that Christ is going to take the throne of David. We're going to reign with him in the renewed Jerusalem here on earth. And all of this falls under the heading, the day of the Lord from the rapture of the church to the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. We read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It's going to be the end. That's going to be the end of this day of the Lord. We read back in our text in verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, for us as believers, this thief in the night, I don't think any one of us here uh, has ever had a warning before. If you've ever had your house broken into, no one gave you heads up. No one told you they were going to break in. You just got simply caught unaware. You were, your house was broken into. They took what they did. The same for us as believers. He's coming as a thief in the night. There's no warning signs. There's nothing. But as Christians, we should be able to look at our world and know the seasons, know the, what's going on around us so that we know that the day is drawing close. But we're not to be caught unaware as a thief in the night. We should be living and expecting that Christ could return. But verse 3 says, but when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. I think that this world, for the most part, when Christ returns, when the rapture happens, they're going to be living life like everything's going to go on forever. Things are going on. Nobody wants to think this is all going to come to an end. They're going to be living and letting life just go on. They're going to be in a, in a sense of false security. When they're saying peace and safety, 
You know, I mean, are we thinking that, you know, Trump and, and things in the world today are going to all of a sudden bring things around where everyone's going to go, wow, hey, things are improving. Things are getting better. I don't know that that's ever going to happen, but there's going to be a false sense of security and peace in people's minds. I don't think the Lord's going to come back. I don't think it's time, you know. No, the, the world's going to be living that way. Paul says that it's going to be at this time that sudden destruction will come upon them. When they're saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Speaking of the unbelievers on this earth. He says as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Those women here that have had and given birth. You know how that all comes about. It kind of hits you. It kind of is all of a sudden there and it kind of intensifies. Uh, That's as labor pains upon a woman. It's how this is all going to come about. And they're not going to escape. Paul goes on in verse 4. He says, but you, brethren, you're not in darkness. So that this day, speaking of the day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. And none of us here should be caught off guard unaware. We should be alert and know what's going on uh, around us in this world. Why? Because you are all sons of the light, is what Paul says. You're sons of the light, of light, and you're sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Speaking about the contrast between believers and non-believers. We're of the light. We're not of darkness, that it should overtake you as a thief in the night. We read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John writes this, For this is the message which we have heard from Him. And we declare it to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God, and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. You see, God is light. And we're children of the light. And we, we, are, we don't practice, we don't live in darkness and walk in darkness if you're a child of God. But John says that if you walk in darkness as a believer, you're a liar. Because that's uncharacteristic of what a believer is. You, you lie and you do not practice the truth. Very straightforward, but... Paul here is making it very clear to the believers there that we are all sons of the light. We should know, in other words. And we should be walking accordingly, walking in the light. Verse 6 says, Therefore, because of what I just said to you, Paul, Paul says, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Here's a contrast. Let us as believers not sleep as others do, non-believers, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Contrast between believers and non-believers. Because we are sons of light, this is the way we should live. This is, this, it should affect us the way that we live. It should affect the way we walk as Christians. You see, when somebody's sleeping, they're pretty much ignorant to what's going on around them. 
when somebody is sleeping, uh, their defense mechanism is not up and working, is it? When somebody's sleeping, they're really, they're inactive. They're just, they're laying, they're not doing anything. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, is what Paul is exhorting the believers. But let us watch and let us be sober. In other words, let us be alert. Let us be aware of what's going on. Don't get caught up into the things of this world where you take your focus and your eyes off of what's coming, what's ahead of us, what the Lord has promised He will do. Verse 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Did you get the three words that are in that verse? It's the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Faith, love, and hope. Those three things. They're, they're really the vital organs of the Christian. If you think about it, we walk by faith. This whole love that has been placed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit is what God is exhorting us to do towards one another. To love Him and to love one another. And this hope of salvation is that patiently waiting for Christ's return. The hope of Christ's return. The hope of our salvation. For God, verse 9, did not appoint us to wrath. Oh, wow. Did you get that, Christians? You are not appointed to God's wrath. Revelation chapter 6, for the great day of His wrath has come. And who will be able to stand? Christians, you're not appointed to wrath. Wrath meaning that it is being directed from the hand of God towards this world. You're not appointed to that. It's it's not something as a believer that we need to be one. I wonder if that wrath is going to come upon me. You're not appointed to wrath. But he goes on to say what you are appointed to but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that we, whether we awake or sleep, we should live together with Him. That's what you're appointed to. Whether you are asleep, in other words, whether or not as a Christian you've passed on and you're just waiting for that day, or whether you're alive and the rapture happens, we're going to live together with Him. That's the promise. Revelation 3.10 tells us, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation or First uh, Thessalonians 1.10 tells us, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It's coming, church. A day of wrath where God... And and you know what? God doesn't take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. God doesn't... That's not the heart of our Lord. But God must judge sin. God will judge sin. And God will be faithful to the promises that He made that God will intervene into man's affairs. 
He did with Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't he? Because of the wickedness that was in that city. He did with the whole world when he destroyed this earth by flood. He will again during the tribulation period, that seven years of tribulation, intervene into this world. And then we read in verse 11, another therefore. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. You see, these are supposed to be words, though they're hard words, to hear, but they're supposed to be words that we can encourage one another with. Jesus Christ is coming back. All your trials and tribulations of life, they'll come to an end. You're going to spend eternity with the Lord and you're going to be there forever and ever. You're going to be in a glorified body that is going to experience no more sickness, no more pain, no more all these things that we can take. It's all going to come to an end. You're going to be reunited with your loved ones that know Jesus Christ in eternity. All of these things as believers are there for our encouragement and our edification to encourage and edify one another. We need it. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.